You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. It's five o'clock on Friday afternoon. My name's Jacob, here with you on Community Radio Station 3CR, and this is a Friday Raid. Yeah, it's Friday again. You're on Community Radio, Radical Radio 3CR, 855am. If you're in Melbourne, or in any other number of ways, 3CR Digital, via all the W's at 3cr.org.au or maybe even on your podcast app because, yep, a Friday rave is now available to podcast. Last couple of months are up and earlier shows have been added to all the time. I'm actually speaking to you on the streets in Sydney at the moment. Well, on the streets, it's a pedestrian wall to get away from the, um, the trams and the traffic noises and all the rest of it. So <clears throat> I hope I am... I hope I can be heard properly. But um, today I was looking around for something other than Afghanistan to talk about. But really, how could I? So I'm going to start by playing you a little clip from Julian Assange about Afghanistan that he made back in 2011. Because the goal is not to completely subjugate Afghanistan. The goal is to use Afghanistan to wash money out of the tax bases of the United States, out of the tax bases of European countries, through Afghanistan and back into the hands of a transnational security elite. That is the goal, i.e. the goal is to have an endless war, not a successful war. An endless war, not a successful war, because wars aren't about winning anymore. That's what I, well, not about winning in the traditional sense. And that's what I've been talking about for ages, what Julian said about Afghanistan being used to wash money out of the tax base of US and European countries is also going on here. As an example, it's what I was talking about last week, about the internal situation of um, funding earmarked for Indigenous communities being diverted to the military industry. That's on a local level. What happened is happening in Afghanistan is so much bigger and it's all about the money. I was going to go into the share prices of the biggest arms companies, but you know that already if you've been listening to me or you've been listening to basically any of the anti-war commentary in recent in recent times. You know, Lockheed Martin, Northrop, Boeing, over a thousand percent increase in share value. Sorry, Boeing's nine hundred and eighty some, but Lockheed Martin and Northrop eleven, twelve hundred percent share increases. Um, since the beginning of the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Let's see, you can't separate the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq. I've got the list here. I could go through it item by item, but what's the point? I don't think I'm going to have the time. I want to say some other shit. Now, the US has spent $3 trillion in Afghanistan over this course. $3 trillion. Now, it's a three followed by 12 zeros. It's hard to get your head around. Just to put it in something you can maybe understand, let's talk about a trillion seconds. A trillion seconds ago, 
is about the accepted time that humans first began our migration out of Africa. That's about 95,000 years. Now think of that. A million seconds, about 12 days, a billion, about 30 years. That is the kind of money that's been spent. A trillion dollars. That is one dollar for every second since human beings first began to migrate out of Africa. And that's just what's been spent in the US in what is arguably the failed democratic state of the USA where people are homeless, where there's almost no social safety net and until very recently no public health system and let's be honest, even what they do have now under Obamacare, it's bullshit really. This country has spent $3 trillion. That's really only the start of it. This is just the defence bill. It doesn't include all the other costs, the diplomatic costs, what it paid to get our countries on side, the cost of dealing with the deranged and damaged vets when they get back from the war, and, of course, their families, the blowback from everywhere else, the cost of you know changing the whole country from a very flawed capitalist liberal democracy to a security state. They have changed. They have changed. I mean... You know, people talk about human rights, and I remember when I was a kid hearing stories of the Ku Klux Klan, for example, in the US, lynching blackfellas. Well, they don't have that happening anymore. They have police forces to do it for them. It hasn't actually cost $3 trillion. You know, taken together with the rest of the war on terror, Afghanistan has cost the United States, well, pretty much everything, really. And I know Australia is not quite there yet, but is heading down the same pathways. We're cutting our public health, our education, our working conditions, our rights, and rushing headlong into the securitisation of society. The cost of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, just in absolute dollar terms, has been, as Julian put it in that clip, you know, just washing money out of the tax base and into the hands of multinational corporations. That's it. Out of your hands, out of my hands, out of the Commonwealth into the private wealth. If you ever thought there was anything, even the slightest hint, the slightest whiff of a hint, about it being to protect human rights, to protect the rights and dignity of women and ethnic minorities, think again. And yet, even much of the soft left commentary is castigating the governments of both Australia and the US for leaving our friends over there to face repercussions abandoning our friends. People need to remember that we, yes we, because the US could not have done a single thing that it did in Afghanistan from day one without the use of the intelligence bases here, mainly Pine Gap, but there are heaps of others. Maybe I'll go into what every base in the country does sometime in the near future. Anyhow, we put the Taliban there. Remember, before we got involved in Afghanistan, You know, people are talking about since 9-11, but since 1980, as a part of the ongoing Cold War against the Soviet Union, and we armed and financed and provided intelligence to the Northern Alliance, the forerunners to the Taliban and to Al-Qaeda, if we're, you know, going to be complete about it, and Al-Sabath and all the rest of it, before we gave them power to send the Soviets packing, women had more rights in Afghanistan than many countries in the region. They worked, they voted, they went to university. 
It was on the road to what we would call a pluralist liberal democracy. I've got a mate, I won't name him here, who told me a few years back that when he started working, for example, um, he they were all Afghanis. He didn't know or give a shit about the ethnic background of the bloke sitting in the next cubicle and didn't think twice that women were working there with him. Most people didn't. The whole divide and rule. Look at that. You're losing because this bloke's doing that, that bloke's doing the other. Nothing to see here, folks. Look over there, look over there. I say this just to reinforce it. Whatever the problems at the Taliban, and there are plenty, we created them. We cannot stand back from that and take a principled position that the evil Stone Age clerico-fascists are anything other than an artifice created by us to serve our interests. So where does that leave us? Just walk away? Do nothing? Walk away, yeah. Do nothing? No. The only thing left to be done, well, a couple of things. Firstly, to open our borders to anybody from Afghanistan whose country we well and truly rooted. I'm not just talking about interpreters and guides, though of course we should include them, even if they were, at the end of the day, collaborators with the invading forces, but that's aside. Everybody. You know, Peter Dutton has come out and said that some of the people who were helping us are now helping the Taliban. You know, well, you can't believe this bloke schutz, but can you? It's, um, of course they're helping the Taliban. The people who were helping us the collaborators who were helping us, let's call it for what they were, were doing what they needed to do to stay alive. And they're still doing that. They don't really care and they probably don't even see much difference between whether they're doing what they're doing for the Taliban or for the US or for the Australians. Anyone who wishes to leave that hellhole we created should be welcomed here. So, you know, I don't think you'd have a rush. What I think is going to happen in Afghanistan, what I hope will happen in Afghanistan, is that without the Western occupation, the Taliban will quickly lose their appeal and the people, you know, be given the space and resources to build their own society back. That's, of course, if you take the financial situation out of the out of the equation, which we'll go in, I'll go into in just a, a little moment. Uh, remind me if I don't, but we can help with those resources. But we probably won't because, you know, China no doubt will, not because they're benevolent, but because Afghanistan occupies a very strategically important geographic position. That's why we were there. It's part of the Western trade route from China, and that's why we've become so military tight with India over the last couple of years. It's not just that the only difference between the facets, Modi and Morrison, is how many arms their respective gods have. Afghanistan was always about strategic geography. Opium was a bonus, of course. And we, the West, here in Australia, from both sides of politics, went in with our eyes open, knowing that we were going to totally buck their country, but that it would be good for our economy. Hang on now. Didn't I just say that it destroyed our economy? No. It destroyed our public economy and did exactly what it was meant to do. Transferred money from the public purse to the biggest, ugliest, nastiest, evilest corporations on the planet. The economy that they did well and truly destroy was, and is of course, because it's ongoing, the Afghan one. News last night was that their economy is now doubly stuffed. Firstly, the entirety of their national reserves are held in US banks, which the 
previous puppet government of the US put there. And the US banks have now frozen their accounts. And now the IMF has announced that the new Afghan government will not be able to access IMF funding, which includes 370 million US, that's about half a bill Australian, that was due to be released this coming Monday. Anyhow, China will step in, hopefully. But, you know, the groundwork has already been laid for the Liberal West to oppose that, um, using the the language of the left to oppose any Chinese role in Afghanistan because of its human rights record. Not, I know, we in Australia and the US and the West haven't got a great record on human rights ourselves, have we? How can we support Modi's BJP fascists and out of the other side of our mouths condemn China, or the Taliban for that matter? How can we in the US be about the only two countries in the world still standing up for Israel? support one murderous religious-based state while condemning the Taliban. Now, China has a stated ambition of developing its Belt Road initiative through the region. Pakistan has been the preferred route because there's been a war in Afghanistan since they came up with the idea, but Pakistan has its own set of problems. And anyway, the last thing China wants is for a Taliban-type movement to move east into its bordering um, Xinjiang province. Already last month, Taliban leader um, what he's written down here, Mullah Barada, met with Chinese Foreign Minister Wayne Yi in Tianjin, and, and I'm sure they weren't just talking football. And, you know, of course, there's going to be a power vacuum. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Hey, you heard the lady. We're listening to Community Radio 3CR. Now, remember last week, I castigated you all for not getting your radiothon pledges in. Consider yourself growled at again. But that's all I'm going to say about it for now. We're talking about Afghanistan here and human rights and the protection of women and minorities and the power vacuum. And apart from the fact that we set it all up, have you thought about um, how the Taliban seem to be offered little to no resistance on their march into Kabul. It seems to me almost as if people didn't give a shit anymore, didn't it? It's that because they've been completely broken? I don't know. Who could blame them? Maybe. But maybe your average Afghan can't tell a lot of difference between the Taliban and the US-Australian troops when it comes to human rights abuses. Remember the Brereton report? Well, you should also be aware that the crimes listed in that report are probably only a very small part of the total number of crimes that took place. I mean, you could say the whole invasion was a crime. Usually, where an Australian soldier um, did the right thing and lagged in the others, that's where it's come to light. Consider, if you will, for a moment, how hard it would be for an Afghan villager to even get in touch with the level of military to make a complaint. How hard is it to consider for just a moment that while your average Australian doesn't share any... Sorry, your average Afghan doesn't share ideology with the Taliban, just like your average Palestinian doesn't share ideology with Hamas, nonetheless, could they be resigned to the idea that at least they'd get the foreign troops out of the country? And we'll deal with them later on. At least they'll be our problem. Because I'm sure that many Afghans also didn't share the ideology with their um, recently ex-puppet president, Ashraf Ghani, either. You know, the dude who split the other day and has been offered sanctuary by that bastion of human rights, the United Arab Emirates. 
the UAE, the ones using ex-Australian soldiers as mercenaries to kill the poorest people in the world in Yemen with Australian-made weapons. But that's by the by, except to say, of course they'd give him a chop out. Now, there's been a lot of news about how he had to flee, as he put it, to avoid bloodshed, mostly his own, I'd be guessing, but not a lot is known about him. Well, here we go. Ashraf left Afghanistan as a young bloke on an exchange scholarship to Columbia University. He then went to the American University in Beirut before going back to Columbia, earning his PhD with a thesis called Production and Domination in Afghanistan. He got his MBA at the Harvard Institute of European Administration, then undertook the World Bank Stanford Uni Leadership Training Program before joining the World Bank in 91. He returned to Afghanistan only in his 50s to take on jobs first as finance manager and then chancellor of Kabul University. Now, as early as 1978, from a cable published by WikiLeaks, um, this bloke, Ashfar Ghani, was suspected of being a CIA operative by the leftish um, cult government at the time, and a cable from the US Embassy in Kabul describes him as a very close friend of the ambassador, US ambassador to Afghanistan, even though Ghani wasn't in Afghanistan at the time and hadn't been since he was like a first or second year student. So was he a CIA agent? Who knows? Possibly. Was he, indoctr- you know, was he an indoctrinated big business pro-US stooge? Why, yes, definitely, at the very least. Would the Taliban have killed him? Probably. Why wouldn't they? Oh, maybe because his little brother is the Grand Council Chieftain of the Kuchis, a Pashtun tribe that, again, according to a cable published by WikiLeaks, accounts for about half the population, or so I should say, is rumoured to account for about half the population of the Taliban. And who knows what their familial, bloody fraternal, whatever you call it, relationship is like. But again, it's the same families and the same tricks. It always is, isn't it? Anyway, Afghan ambassador to Tajikistan, the current one, has called on Interpol to arrest Ghani, claiming that he stole $170 million from the country when he left. No wonder he left in secret. No wonder he said it would avoid bloodshed. And it's not just him. There are stories of senior government ministers leaving Afghanistan in cars stuffed with dollar bills. Right down to the last, the plunder of the country went on. And yeah, the plunder of the country went on, not by the Taliban, but by the Western puppets. And as I said, now there's not only a freeze on, well, let's not call it a freeze, let's call it a theft of the country's reserves by the US banks. I call it theft because to call it anything else would imply that US bankers are the only people authorised to make the call on what constitutes a legitimate government. Which sounds absolutely outrageous when you put it like that, but it is in fact the way capitalism works. Not only that, let me say it again as plain as I can. The US banks decide what is and what is not a government based on whatever criteria they like, as their decision-making process is commercial in confidence. But now the IMF has also pulled the pin on its disbursements. Remember that the IMF was created for precisely the reason of helping countries recover from the ravages of war. 
Now, I've mentioned the WikiLeaks cables a couple of times, and this is probably a reasonable place to have another clip from Julian talking about why WikiLeaks published these cables and the Afghan um, war diaries and the rest of it. Tourism is good. It is controversial by, by its nature. Uh, it is the role of good journalism to take on powerful abuses. And when powerful abuses are taken on, there is always a back reaction. So we see that controversy, um, and we I believe that is a, a good thing to engage in. And in this case, um, it will show the, the true nature of this war. And then the, the public from Afghanistan and other nations um, can see what's really going on and take steps to address the problems. The significance of this material is both the overarching context, that is, it covers the entire war since 2004, and individual events which are also significant, or a thread of events. So those include something like Task Force 373, an US-based assassination squad that goes around uh, Afghanistan killing people on a kill or capture list. Uh, it includes significant events where many people were killed. Uh, for instance, we are looking at an event that killed 181 people uh, at once, um, some by an AC-130 gunship. Um, it includes um, detail about how the war is supported in various ways. So how the um, political class in Kabul interfaces with US military and intelligence, how the corruption uh, is spread through that community, but also how the war is mediated by Pakistan and possibly by Iran. The nearest analogue is the Pentagon Papers, uh, which was released in the early 70s. That exposed how the United States was prosecuting the war in Vietnam. That was some 10,000 pages. And some of those pages were accepted and uh, put into the New York Times and other US newspapers. It wasn't for several years that uh, a book was published of some 5,000 of those pages by Beacon Press. This situation is different in that it's not just more material and being pushed to a bigger audience and much sooner, if you like, everyone has the book, the whole lot at once. But rather that people can give back. So people around the world who are reading this are able to comment on it and uh, put it in context and understand the full situation. That is not something that has previously occurred and that is something that can only be brought about as a result of the internet. Militaries keep information secret to prosecute their part of a war but also to hide abuse. And there is a military argument for keeping some information secret uh, that is very timely. So the, an example of where troops are about to deploy. Um, but that information expires quickly. And this information um, ranges from 2004 to 2010. Uh, so that argument uh, is not valid for this type of information. This legend on my t-shirt is really quite nice. It's from the Norwegian Journalist Association, SKUP. And it says, uh, dig down in time. And it's a, a reference to the snowfalls in Norway 
that if you're up in the mountains and there's a lot of snow, you've got to dig down in time to, to be safe. But for investigative journalism, this is dig down into the archives to understand. So deep down into the archives to understand. That's what we need to do, which is why I tell you, once again, go to wikileaks.org and do searches. Do searches on Ashfagani. Do searches on all the other um, personalities involved over the years with the um, with the war in Afghanistan. You don't need me to dig it up for you. Look for it yourself. But I'll keep looking up for you anyway. But at any rate, what I've got to say now is where does that leave us? Well, I've got to say that I'm worried. A recurrent theme that's been going on through my head from every issue, from COVID to China, from climate change to US politics, to the current work I'm doing on prisons up here in Sydney, um, is the trend that I see that we as a people, and I don't mean just Australia, I mean us and the other Five Eyes, the White English Speaking Club, which recently has seemed to be advocating uh, itself as a block. What those what what those of us in those countries are moving towards is seemingly advocating for what we once would have called more repressive measures for our own good. The, the theft of national reserves by the bankers, of cash by the former president and his mates, and the removal of funding by the IMF in Afghanistan will not create, well, if it doesn't create, at the very least exacerbate, the situation of despair and depression in Afghanistan, as nothing is able to be paid for. In much the way that US attacks Cuba and Venezuela for problems created by similar economic piracy on their part, on the US's part, expect very soon that we'll hear myriad stories about the social fabric and infrastructure of Afghanistan falling apart because the Taliban buggered it up. A big concern I have is that it won't be long before the lefty commentariat, or rather what passes for the left, because as I've said before, anything that isn't Trump, Johnson or Morrison is almost by definition left, you know, even Biden and Albanese. But anyway, imagine a situation where we see the news come out of Afghanistan and the pro-West journos there are already having a field day that the Taliban are atrocious, misogynist assholes, and they probably are, and that precisely because we caused it, it's up to us to now go back and fix it, only properly this time. Not a word will be spoken about the role the economics, the economic thefts have played in all this, of course. Then we'll see that as soon as a um, peacekeeping force is, um, is sent into Afghanistan, all finances will be released and things will start getting better. Everyone will breathe a sigh of relief. Ah, the West can do a benevolent occupation. Asfargani and his gang will return to a welcome back parade and the possession of Afghanistan by the corporates will be complete. And there still seems to be a headspace, even amongst the left, that bad as we are, we are still the best place to dictate how things should be run. Australia, and again, the rest of the Five Eyes, um, has taken on the mantle of manifest destiny. And quite frankly, it scares the absolute shit out of me. That's all I've got time for today. I was going to talk more about 
um, Somalia and the rest of it. But um, as I say, I haven't got time. I'll rave at you more next week. And remember, go to 3cr.org.au and come good with your Radiothon pledges, people. We need it now more than ever. I've been Jacob. This has been a Friday rave. And I'll rave more at you next week.